Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Make me a stranger on earth, dear Savior. Make me a stranger more like Thee. Help me keep my focus on heavenly treasures and not on earthly, may it be. Make me a stranger on earth, dear Savior, till I see my heavenly home. Lord, I've found myself loving earthly treasures, simple pleasures, taking your place. Nothing can measure to heavenly treasures. Hearing well done and seeing your face. Make me a stranger on earth, dear Savior, till I see my heavenly home. That poem, Make Me a Stranger, was given to me some time ago. And today I'm back with a guest, uh, Pastor Ron Owens, who is Pastor Emeritus here at Grace Baptist, served here faithfully for 18 years. And we're talking about funerals again, but from a different perspective this time. We're talking about funerals from the perspective of those in the pew, not from those in the pulpit. Those who are more lay folks, not those who are um, called and ordained into the ministry. And so we want to help you here think through to figure out what you should do after someone dies. So let's just uh, let's just start with the first here, Ron. And again, thank you for being back with me today. What should I do when someone that I love dies? What's the first thing I should do, you think? Well, certainly, if you've already, if the funeral home's already been called and those kind of nuts and bolts that have to be done at a death, call your pastor. Your pastor really needs to be the very first person that you allow to know, especially if you have a, an ongoing relationship with the church. If you're an active and involved person, the pastor cares about you, and they want to know. Mm-hmm. When you reach out to them as a rule, they will respond as soon as they possibly can. Right. Let's talk for just a minute about how grieving works, because I don't think we think about grieving when we're grieving. Does that make sense? That's kind of an odd way to say that, but I think it's important that we have lists. And I think actually, I have a thing here was given to me several years ago, 87 things to do when someone dies. And I may post that on the show notes, or if you would like a copy of it, rather you contact me and I'll share that with you. But um, when we initially have a loss, uh, what are some of those first stages like, Ron, that we're, we're feeling and we're experiencing? First of all, shock. Yeah. We're, we're just, even though we knew it was coming, it, it just is almost overwhelming. We can't believe that it's actually occurred. And then once we kind of get hold of that piece of it, then we begin to just do things Almost like we were a robot, we're numb mm. to all the things and all the feelings that are going on. We we don't always remember what we did or didn't do. Mm. And then, of course, following that numbness and that that just sense of total shutdown, sometimes then we've got to try to heal ourselves, and so we start, our mind wants to deny it. 
See, mm. this really didn't happen. Right. And this can't be real. This can't be real. Uh, I would almost call that even a surreal stage. Yeah. Like this, how can this person be dead? How can yeah. their life be over now? How can there be a reality where this person is not physically existing? And I think sometimes folk start the blame game of themselves. What did I not do? Mm. What could I have done? What should I have done? It should have, would have, could have, uh, kind of a thing. And, and then they begin to just beat themselves up. Right. I think another thing that that is hard to do during this time, and this is why having a list like 87 things to do, mm-hmm. what is our thinking process when we're, when we have had a loss initially? Is it hard to think? Is thinking clear? It's sometimes hard to think. It's very difficult to to clearly think for many people. Maybe not everybody, but many. I've been with folk and they couldn't even, they were so immobilized that they couldn't even call the funeral home. Right. Uh, They couldn't even call their sister. The other relatives. Yeah, the relatives. And and so in those times, it's got to help them to do the little thing and, uh, and the list would be ideal for that they can just check that off because yeah. you're you're almost in survival mode you are you're in survival. you're not really you're not you're not you don't have clarity i've heard some say thinking while grieving is like trying to push a thought through jello yeah pretty good thought or or trying to navigate through heavy thick fog mm-hmm. you're just foggy all right let's talk about another thing we see you know and and that is oftentimes there will be emotional outbursts, okay. uncontrollable crying and sobbing. I, I think this is fairly common in groups for women to do and to be seen, you know, doing that in, in the family group. Not all the time, but I would say more frequently than men. Do you think that means men don't have emotional outbursts? Oh, men have emotional outbursts, but... The culture demands that it be in controlled environments. And usually that means they go off by themselves. They find a place to cry. They find another means to express what's going on in their lives. But they hurt Mm -hmm. just as much as women do. It's just not acceptable for men to openly cry in this culture. Why is he out there chopping wood and getting firewood yeah. ready in May? Yeah. Oh, he's working through stuff. That's right. Or, in my case, I'll share this on here, when one of my first losses, um, you know, it, when you're a young man growing up here in Appalachia, you're you're kind of taught, you, you I don't know how many times I heard this phrase, shake it off, walk it off. So, you know, you're not, you're kind of taught to, you push down the emotions, right. you push down the, and you're, you got to be strong for others. You go to the bathroom. Nobody's going to bother you in the bathroom. You lock the door and you have an emotional outburst there. You know, you cry, you wail, and nobody knows. And uh, so it happens. Um, what, what else do you think uh, would be helpful to talk about here as we, you know, think through what we're facing here when we lose somebody emotionally. 
I think one of the things that we have a difficult time addressing is the fact that we're angry. Mm. And uh, I have found people who are, they direct their anger at the wrong places at the wrong sources mm-hmm. when they're angry. Sometimes people are angry at themselves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're angry at the person who died. Sometimes they're angry at God. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that is very difficult for us who are Christians to acknowledge. I'm not supposed to be angry at God. Is it okay to be angry with God, Ron? I believe it's okay to be angry with God. God can handle it. God's not afraid of me, and he doesn't dislike me, and he's not going to punish me because I can talk to him. I guess we should maybe compare it to our earthly fathers, right? We may get angry at our earthly father, but does that always change how our earthly fathers love us? No. They love us anyway. They love us anyway. How much more our Heavenly Father in His perfection? How much more uh, uh, Heavenly Father. And it's okay to talk to Him about what you're feeling. Right. And I think that's one of the problems we run into is we have to stuff all those things. When God invites us to talk to Him Mm -hmm. and communicate with Him Mm -hmm. and in that relationship, that's the kind of love relationship that we have as Christians. Is that loving, intimate, personal opportunity to bear our souls, if you will. Um, now, some of these other stages that people may go through Maybe those who have stronger faith, and maybe those even that do have stronger faith that but have emotional struggles, maybe they can shortchange some of these, but they may still feel them all, right? That's very true. Uh, but I'd like to step back just one moment. We live in a society where we've been taught that there are stages of grief. Mm-hmm. And I start up here at whatever it is, anger, fear, whatever, And I moved through them. And we were taught for many, many years that there were five stages. Mm -hmm. Okay? There's five or more. Right. Uh, But here's the thing about those things. They don't come in any certain pattern. Right. You can jump from fear to acceptance. You jump all around. You can be any one place, any moment in the grief journey. Yeah, I have oftentimes said that I believe grief is the most intense emotion that an individual feels because of what you're describing. Because grief is not one emotion at a time. Right. It is multiple emotions coming at you at multiple times. Yeah. So oftentimes we may see disorganization. Yes. Did I turn the coffee pot off? Did I leave the stove on? Did I pay the light bill? There's a, this may not be the place to interject this thought, but in the grieving process, 
people sometimes think they heard that person speak. Yes. Or thought they saw that person driving. Right. Uh, and, a, and a plethora of things that go with that. This is part of the grieving process. And I run into people who say, something's got to be wrong with me. But it's not. It's common, isn't it? That's right. It's very common. Yeah. To hear to hear a loved one's voice in the night yeah. if you were their caretaker. Right. They called me in the night and I got yeah. up. That happened to me once. My grandmother was very ill and she was a tall woman. She yeah. was about my same height. My mother was not able to lift her out of bed to yeah. go to the bathroom towards the end. So she would call for me. Well, when I went to the home after she passed in the night, I could hear her yelling for sure. me in the night. And of course, it was all in my mind. Right. But that happens oftentimes. And then, of course, you deal with feelings of panic. And I would say almost the bottom of the barrel with these emotions is going to be guilt, maybe survivor's guilt, which you alluded to, loneliness, and what would you say, isolation. Even though you're in a room full of people, can you still be alone? You can be alone. You can feel very alone in the largest crowd there is. I hear people from time to time talk about, I went to church. And the church was full, but I felt so alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the times when it becomes important for people to speak and to search out those who have gone through grief and make sure you touch their life. Right. Yeah, I want to write a book one day, uh, Things Not to Say yeah. to People That Are Grieving. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard people... There was one lady I, I loved dearly and was very close to when her husband died, and I was very close to her husband. They're both in heaven now. They're both with the Lord. But I stood next to her when we were at the funeral home and listened to what people said to her because what I've noticed is people are full of advice when it's unsolicited. <laughs> and this one other widow came up and said, Now, honey, when you get home, you need to rearrange every piece of furniture in your house because that's what helped her. And when she went away there, I said... You don't have to do that. You do what you need to do when you need to do it. Right. Because moving all the furniture around may just end up with her having a sore back. It may not have helped her emotionally at all. It may have just been to her detriment. It may have been brought on more grief. Right. And then we see sometimes depression will be another thing that yes. will entail uh, uh, grieving. And I don't think that needs a lot of definition. I think most people are clear on what that is. We see David writing about that in Psalms. Uh, You know, he struggled with that. It's not uncommon for believers to struggle with depression in times of grief. Very true. And then I want to talk about re-entry troubles whenever we're grieving, right? What are re-entry troubles, you think, Ron? Giving ourselves permission to re-enter life. Yeah. And to carry on with whatever. But um, sometimes it's difficult to re-enter the church life if you've been if you were with a mate and that's where you had a significant part of your life. When you go there by yourself the first time, it can be very difficult. Sitting in the same spot, you sit with your spouse. Sitting in the same spot, or sometimes with your children, right? Uh, and it's also for some people, it's hard to re-enter his family. Mm. and step back into that role. Yeah. 
Uh, what about even uh, friendships? Right? You may have had friendships as couples. Yeah. And one of you, you're not a couple anymore. You're uh, you're now single again, maybe for the first time in a long time. Does that change the dynamic of the relationship with those other couples you were friends with? It can. Yeah. But a lot, many times it's in the mind of the person rather than the friends. Right. And then, of course, the when we see we're starting to come out of grief, we're seeing... I don't know that we ever stop grieving someone we love dearly for the rest of our lives in one sense, but I guess there's a difference between lifelong healthy grieving and being stuck in grief. I guess I would make that distinction because you, in all these things we've described, you could get stuck. You could, and some do. But I think signs that we're coming out of it, new relationships, right? What else are we seeing? Uh continuing to be involved in the, if it were church, the church, if it were a civic club, being able to continue with life. Moving on. And eventually we hope to get to a point where we're able to help others, right? Yeah. Uh, with with new hope, new pa- new patterns will emerge, right, in the person's right. life. And Well, the scripture indicates that we ought to comfort others with the comfort we received during our grieving or our hurt or our experience. And and that's the hope that when I get through my grieving or I'm moving through it, that I can be of help to someone else who's starting their process. Right. All right, very good. So we're going to kind of... I guess in some ways I'm going to move forward, but rewind the tape a little bit. I want to have a couple quick discussions here as we uh, move forward. And one of those is uh, rewinding the tape back to when somebody dies, you have to make some decisions about what to do with their remains. I just read an interesting article about uh, funerals in Appalachia before the funeral home industry took over, how the men would build the caskets and, and sometimes they would even use trees and hollow them out and use those. Very therapeutic. And it was part of the grieving process yeah. for them. Uh, in some ways, perhaps the um, the way we do funerals now, I've wondered if it is. How do you say this? Well, we we sh- we short circuit the grieving process because we're not as hands on with what happens with right. the with the corpse, right? With the the body of the loved one. In the day that I grew up. We did. We set up with the dead. Yeah, wakes. Wakes. And they would bring the body to the home, right? Bring the body to the home. Right. Food would be prepared in the home, and people stayed up all night. People, that that just sounds like a t- totally different world now. It is to, a totally different world. So, well, let's let's get into this discussion then. Um, let's talk about cremation versus burial. We get this question as pastors. Yes. If lay people ask us. Is it okay to cremate my loved one or is it not okay? How should we think about this? You know, what should be taken into consideration? I can tell you what I hear when people begin to talk about that. It's the cost of a cremation of $1,500, whatever it is, versus the cost of a burial. That could be as much as 8000 And so what I'm hearing more and more and more 
is people are choosing cremation over in-ground burial because of the cost. Now we get those questions. Would God be okay with this? Uh, is it biblical or is it not biblical? And I've not been able to find enough evidence that I can say one way or the other. Yeah. There are also other considerations. Now in Appalachia, we have a pretty good amount of real estate that we can right. bury people in the ground. But in places like Hawaii, they can't. They don't have enough real estate to bury the dead. So their two options are either cremation or ship back to mainland. I think Japan has a similar issue, but the way they handle it is, did you know in Japan you can rent a grave for a decade? I'd heard that. And so I guess after a decade, people don't visit your grave as often. But anyhow, well, let's talk about theologically and biblically for just a minute and thinking through this. And I don't know if we're on the same page. We hadn't discussed this. We'll We'll, we'll discuss it. I may be a little more old school on this one. Okay. But uh, I I would say that uh, if possible, burial is preferable for believers because of the resurrection. It it is the, because of the resurrection and the expectation of the resurrection to those that remain. Right. Now, can God put it all back together if you have a loved one who has been uh, cremated? And I think the answer is yes. But I still think if possible. And I don't think believers should spend exorbitant amounts of money at the funeral home. Right. I told Becky, when I die, you need to buy the cheapest casket possible. Right. You know, like we don't need fanciness. We don't need to dress death up. We understand what death is as Christians. You know, it's not the end. It is It is us moving to the next realm with Christ. Mm-hmm. We're being transformed and glorified. And so, you know, Christ will renew whatever's planned in there, including if it has been, you know, cremated. But I think in the Old Testament, we see a pattern of burial. When Sarah died, and Abraham was left. What did Abraham do with her body? He bought a cave and he did what? He buried her. Buried. When Joseph died in Egypt, he told them to do what? Whenever they went back, take, take the bones back with you and bury me there. He wanted to be buried back. And I think for Appalachians in particular, we have a attachment to our land here. Mm-hmm. And we want a piece of us to endure here in the land. Right. So there's even a cultural context here. I'd say... Appalachia may be more of a holdout from cremation because of that right. than other parts of the country. But we see cremation is becoming increasingly popular. I think I was talking to a funeral home director here that goes to our church. He just retired recently. Over half the funerals they were doing here were cremation now. And I remember in that same funeral home when cremations were almost nil. Right. Awesome. So I don't think, let me say this, if you heard me say all that, you shouldn't feel bad if you've cremated a loved one, in particular, if you have cremated them at their wish, because God can restore that. But if possible, I'm going to qualify it that way. Do you think it's fair, Ron? I think that's fair. If possible, burial is preferable for believers because of the resurrection and because of the patriarch's example. All right, let's 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 shift the discussion away from this to one last aspect that we probably should discuss for lay folks. I know this is a part of ministry that is perhaps veiled and not talked about or seen or discussed, and that is the honorarium for the pastor. And we're going to have to do this one fairly quick within okay. about four or five minutes. So okay. we'll, we'll dive into as much as we can. 
Pastor Ron, what is an honorarium for a pastor in a funeral? And what should it be? And, you know, kind of tell us what your thoughts are on that. Okay. First of all, an honorarium is an expression of the appreciation and love the family has for what the minister has done in the midst of sharing with them in the whole process, whatever, however long it takes. I think that's part of it. But the honorarium should cover some of the extra expenses that come to that minister in the midst of that. There's the travel, there's the the time, there's the all kind of pieces. They and the preparation for that message. Preparation for that message. That's unseen hours by most lay folks. It is unseen hours. And I know someone's going to say, but we're paying him. as He's a pastor. And I agree. He does his paid. But you pay him for what he, for his ministry. And these are extra hours and extra times. And it's an opportunity for the family to value that minister of the time and give to them. And I don't think any minister that I've ever known had an expectation, at least not a verbalized one, uh, but generosity ought to be the word that drives honorary. So what is the what is the value that he contributed in your time of need? Yes, that's exactly. Pastor Ron, what if I can't afford the honorarium I want to give? Should I still give an honorarium, even though I'm kind of embarrassed of that amount, or should I just not give an honorarium? I think you should give whatever you can give and whatever you are comfortable with. Okay. Uh, but I think it. If you feel like you ought to give something, you ought to give it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you don't need to live with the grief if you can't afford it. It's okay. I think most pastors at some point end up doing a funeral where there's no honorarium. Right. And the way we, at least the way I think about it is I'm doing this for the Lord then. Yeah. And the Lord will credit my account as needed, right? Yeah. Now, that doesn't get you off the hook if you have the means and you're just being stingy, right? Right. So if you're hearing me say that, don't you think that way? Uh, you know, I heard one pastor up in Indiana once, he said after he got done with the graveside, the widower said, what do I owe you, preacher? Yeah. Well, how are we supposed to answer a question like that? You can't answer that very effectively. You don't yeah. owe me anything. What if I'm sitting here trying to figure out what honorariums are? I'll I'll share with you what I've seen. When I first got in the ministry in 2001, a standard honorarium was around $100 for a funeral. But I know being from 1971 to now, you've probably seen honorariums change and not all are the same, right? Not all are the same. Um, And I have never asked for an honorarium, never expected an honorarium. I don't know a good pastor that would, right? But... I've seen it from from nothing probably to two hundred dollars was the biggest the largest that I could ever remember. Yeah. So any I don't know, I just wanted to throw those numbers out for people that were thinking, well, what should I do for they, those that have means and perhaps right. want to That's, do something? 
So I don't know of any pastor who has an expectation. Yeah. Um, but I think we who are need to think about those pastors and the times they're investing. Because the other thing too is that time that they're spending with your family yeah. is time they are not spending with their family. Right. And so what I've heard a lot of pastors doing, what we even try to do when we get an honorarium is, you know, it goes into like a Christmas account for the holidays. And so then we do special things around Christmas, you know, but the, a lot of times pastors will use those honorariums on their family, you know. For uh, several years now, honorariums go to my wife. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that's her... For her to use however she chooses. Talk to me about how many hours you think a pastor is putting in when he has a funeral in a week. Like what, how many hours do you think that adds on top of a work week? Ten hours. At minimum. Yeah, at minimum. All right. All right, Gron, I, I think that's about it for, you know, those um, that are trying to work through how do I think about this? What do I do in a um, when a loved one dies? Is there any closing thoughts you have on this subject before we land the plane here? No, I'll just let you land it. That sounds good. Well, enjoyed uh, having you with us again. Thank you again. And I uh, hope you'll go back. If you're a pastor and you've been listening to this, please remember that there is a previous episode where we handle handling funerals from the pastor's perspective. We'll try to put a few helpful uh, things in the show notes for this episode and the previous one. And I uh, look forward to having you all join us again next time. And uh, have a wonderful day. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to AppalachianBaptistNetwork at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.